Okay, guys, this is the audio taken from a video I did on Facebook Live last night. It had quite a few views. It goes on for about an hour. It's quite interesting. It's all about how millennials are going to change the world. I really appreciate your time. Any comments you want to throw out there as well, I put the link down in the bottom of this um, podcast here. So you can click that, go to the video, and you can add to the commentary on that. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Okay, let's uh, chat it out then. Right, so I've got a bit of a bit of a uh, little bit of a presentation, really, just to talk you through some things and my ideas on failure and performance. As I said, I've got comments down here, so if you want to throw some stuff, I'll try and sort of go through them as I go through the slides. It might add to what we're talking about, which is awesome, of course. If not, what I'm doing, I've got over here as well, it's a bit weird, I've kind of got my comments on the right-hand side, and I've also got some other screens that I want to talk you through a bit later uh, as part of this 10-minute presentation, and then we'll do some Q&A later on, because I know that's what people really want to do. That said... Uh, I will. the comments tend to appear and scroll down quicker and quicker. So if I miss your comment, I will pick it up later. But if you're commenting on what I'm saying, do that on this. Happy with that as I go along. And if you're asking me a question, then maybe just leave that to the Q&A because I'll miss it otherwise. You know what I mean? Uh, if you want to talk or anything, you want to stick anything down here, by all means, just whack something in now. I'm. Uh, let me see. I'm going to put a comment in myself and see whether I can actually see this on here myself. So... There we go. Quick comment in. Hi. Legends. Got some legends watching already. Right, let's go through. If we need to talk flying at all, we have the jet of power that we can always use. Welcome to the layer of excellence. I'm not really going to call it that, but as you can see, we've got the big jet here. I think Sal's, um, who's online at the moment, is flying that with me. Uh, I've got the, the flag here. I've got my fighting sticks there. These are genuine fighting sticks, by the way, which we teach air combat with. Um, as you see, we've got the trusty X-Wing. We've got the... Okay, I broke it. I broke it. There's the X-Wing. And this one is the TIE Fighter. Not that we'll be using these today, but if anyone does want to know about no respect lead turns and stuff, we can always go through that, of course, can't we? And these are genuinely the fighting sticks that I use to teach guys on 4 Squadron. And my team made their own fighting sticks. So, today we're going to talk about success. We're going to talk about failure. Everything in between. Uh, let's get on with it, shall we? So, what happened is I'm trying to get from the Facebook world, and I'm trying to kind of link that into the uh, Insta world. If you're under the age of 18, you'll probably call it Insta or Snap, um, Snapchat if you want to call it that. Obviously, it's Instagram. I'm trying to get into Instagram and not Snapchat, to be honest. That's not really my area. In doing so, though, I need to come up with some kind of promotional material to bounce out there. And it's really easy, isn't it, to use other people's kind of sayings. So someone said, hey, why don't you use your own writing? thought I'll do that that sounds a great idea and what happened is I put out one last night which was this one you should see this on your screen now in about two seconds anyway it should come up and this really came from an essay that I'd written and it was about a guy called Chris Rabel who was a lieutenant colonel in the United States Marine Corps he was killed uh, defending Camp Bastion from the Taliban back in 2011 with one of his men and the whole essay was about, uh, it was called Why This One Forgotten Email Proves That Millennials Are the Luckiest Generation Ever. And luckiest generation ever. And it's interesting because some people have phoned me up and they've said, listen, I didn't believe that. And I still do believe it because your ability to make a difference is immense. And we can talk about that in a minute. Okay, so let's have a look at the essay now, shall we, real quick. Here it is. This is Chris Rabel then. I think he was 40 when he's died. As I said, um, the other chap, Sergeant Atwell, was 27. Uh, and I wrote this essay so that you guys could 
kind of get an idea about how I feel about the generation of pilots that we're training at the moment. And I've got a lot of time for these people. Now, if you're listening to me and you're in your 40s or your 50s, I know you probably have some views about this particular generation, and I fully understand that. What I'm saying is I think there's a potential there that has not yet been recognized. I think what happens when we talk about generations is obviously we have our own preconceived ideas. We think about how hard we've struggled as a generation um, to get through. We talk about baby boomers and then buying all the houses and whatever it might be. And then we think that every generation coming next is worse than us. And that's fine. I've flown with some absolutely fantastic people from this millennial generation and that kind of recognition about what they are going to do, I believe they're going to be in what's called the hero generation, which fundamentally means they are going to change the way we do things in the world, um, is is quite interesting to me. So I wrote this essay. Anyway, let's um, go to the essay, shall we? Uh, on my new scrolling screen type thing. Essay. Boom. Should have transferred uh, across you there. So here we are, Chris Rabel then. Uh, let's have a look at it. And the actual quote I used, it just talks about millennials. Um, initially it talks about pilots uh, and when I talk about pilots I'm talking air crew as well because obviously all the weapon systems guys and the nav guys and the the RPAS guys uh, all the same all the same bunch I just use the word pilot because it's easier in that respect um, he was a commanding officer then of this squadron here VMA 211 which was uh, United States Marine Corps Harrier Squadron and of course what's happened is I put out a quote and some people have said I don't agree with that and I love that by the way because if I'm writing content that you agree with then there is fundamentally something that's not right does that make sense so let's have a look. I like that. Thanks, Tom. I need to get on with my 10 minutes. <laughs> right. Okay. So let's go down here. The quote there is this one. I'm going to try and highlight it for you. So the quote was, those who succeed will be motivated, the disruptors and the energized. Those who fail will be those who choose to wallow in self-pity about the unfairness of life. Now, yes, I fully appreciate why taken out of context, especially with the background of what you might feel will be an anarchist. Um, and let's go back to that picture now, shall we? For some people, is a bit too much. It's a bit too heavy, isn't it? And I fully appreciate that. I fully understand that. It's uh, it's something that people don't always um, would associate, basically, the, the success and this picture of an anarchist. What I'm trying to get across here is that is obviously a motivated individual on that picture. Now, a lot of people like that picture and it inspires them. And that's exactly what we're here trying to do is to get people to move, to get people to step up, to disrupt their lives a little bit, to get energetic about change. Because a lot of people, of course, like I do, and we'll talk about this in a minute, wake up at the same time. We mean to go to the gym. We mean to do this. We mean to do that. And that never happens. And then a year later, as you'll see in a minute, by the way, we end up being in the same place, doing the same things and thinking, where did that year just go? I'm that guy. Where did that year just go? So where did that year just go? Now, if you go back to that quote here and we look at it in the context that it's written, you can just see that what's actually happened is it follows a quote by Lieutenant Colonel Rabel himself. And he's talking to his pilots on this Harrier squadron. And he's basically saying to them, the whole email that's written here is saying, you have opportunities and you have a choice about whether you want to make the most with them. Now, I'm going to dip into the comments in a minute and I know the comments are going to be here. And some of those comments are going to say, yeah, my 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 opportunity right now is £50,000 worth of debt from university. And you never had that, Tim. I get that. Let's bring that. Let's talk that through. That's important to me. And what I've written underneath that is nobody owes anybody a great career. It has to be earned. And I'm flying with people at the moment. In fact, wrong. I've stopped flying. I've stopped flying mid-October. I don't fly jets on the squadron anymore. In fact, I formally left the squadron now. I'm still working in Bristol, bringing in the Grob Prefect, the Fenham and the Texan T6 for the next six months or so. 
Um, so but I fly with these people and I know the guys that are at the end of their flying training. Some of those people, by the way, have been there for seven years. Have a think about that for a second. You tell me how these people are still motivated because they are because they realize they have to be in order to get into that Typhoon, that F-35, that tornado cockpit, or even into that Chinook or that C-130 so they can go and land on beaches and do all those really kind of cool things that they spent their uh, late teens thinking about. So they need to be motivated and they need to be able to disrupt themselves and be energized. That, I believe, is what Chris Rabel was trying to say. Let's talk about failure. What does Michael Jordan say about failure? Well, Big Mike, I can accept failure. Everyone fails at something but I can't accept not trying. It's interesting, actually, because when I read some of the comments last night, they made a lot of sense to me. I think the problem with this quote that I've choose to use on this picture is that people see that fail, or the word fail there, as, as, as the immediacy and not the summative of this. So those who fail choose to wallow in self-pity about the unfairness of life. What I'm talking about there is those who choose that failure as an option. It's an end state for them to not carry on digging deep, getting up in the morning at five o'clock and, and hitting the gym, whatever it is. Whatever your personal battle is, and we need days off, and we know this. Crikey, we know this. I'm going to talk about this in a minute. And I think that's why maybe some people have struck a chord. Also, it's Christmas time. We just want to eat a few sweets and have a few pies and have a few beers. And I fully get that. I get that. Don't get me wrong. But... Let's have a think, shall we? So we've gone from that one. Right, here are my flying gloves. The reason that I used to get told off for flying with these gloves, I'm sure if I was flying with many um, people, they would probably tell me off as well. Uh, in fact, the station commander eventually did say to me, Tim, you are to, are to change those flying gloves. And he was absolutely right, of course. I've been flying with these gloves for too long. But the reason I used to fly with these gloves contrasted picture, new versus old, all that kind of stuff, is it reminded me, when I looked at my gloves without the fingers on, it reminded me of my requirement to sacrifice my time to get these guys and these girls to the front line, which means I had to be in early, I had to stay late, I had to sometimes come in the weekend to help them with mission planning equipment, whatever it would be, that was what I needed to do, and that sacrifice was important to me, and I believe that sacrifice should be important to anyone if you're trying to do um, some good for your life and do better. Let's go for, okay, let's talk about failure on my side then. And then we're going to have a bit of a TNA about this. And we're going to real flush some things out about failure because I think it's quite interesting. And I think sometimes people may have got on the wrong end of the stick with this. These, going back to the 1st of January this year, these were my resolutions. And I'm not a resolution fan. What I did was list a few things on one of the videos I put out about what I was looking to sort of go through in 2017. Boom, here it is. Right, so... I was a big planner, which makes a lot of sense. If you're thinking about flying airplanes in the military or thinking about being a middle manager in some company, guaranteed you're going to be planning everything to the nth degree. It's a trait in alpha personalities. We like to plan. It makes us feel secure. Forget about the planning is what I was trying to say to myself. You need to get out there and you need to do things. Hence why I'm doing a Facebook Live, you'd argue. I didn't do a face. I think I've done one Facebook Live this year. I want to do a lot more of those. The podcast um, really kind of uh, took off quite well in this year. Um, I'm trying to hit Insta. I'm trying to do some other things. Not planning how these things are going to be received. I haven't actually looked at the comments yet. I'm kind of a bit worried. Let's look at one. Whoa. Okay, Will. Yeah, you got as far as Frankfurt. Good stuff. We'll talk about it in a minute. So nothing too negative right now. But, you know, you've got to accept that fact that there's going to be a lot of negativity out there if you put yourself online, especially from people you work with because they don't understand this and you are exposing yourself and we all understand how that is. So... Let's go back to that slide. 
So here we go. So execution was quite important to me. Ideas, everyone has ideas. What you do with those ideas is what's important. And I really can't stress that enough is to stop thinking about things too much and get out there and execute. So I think actually I've made some inroads into that one. Probably not as many as I want to. My book isn't finished. I'm I'm rewriting that sixth chapter and it's really annoying me to be honest with you because I know I just have to get that book out. It's about decision making. I quite like it to be honest because it's not too, um, yeah, it's not, you don't have to use too much of your cognitive load to kind of think about it. It's it's a real actionable kind of tool set we can use. So anyway, my own fault, need to get that book out. Fine. So I need to be better at doing that kind of thing. What else? Authenticity. Right. Okay. My wife said to me the other day, she goes, I don't think your last few posts have been that authentic. And I had a big think about that because self-evaluation, self-reflection is really important, of course, if you're going to, if you're going to lead a life that's, um, that's going to be quite valuable. And I'm, I'm not necessarily in agreement, but I am not now more aware of the fact that we do need to be open and honest. And one of the reasons I'm not sitting here saying that everyone who commented on that post last night was correct is because fundamentally I don't believe that. I do feel that you need to be disruptive and energised in order to make tangible change within your lifestyle. That's something I believe. If you don't want to do that, that's fine. But there will be someone who does. And that person may, type, may take that F35 cockpit off you, that A400 cockpit, whatever it might be, if you're not that person who is going to make that kind of sacrifice. We'll talk about that in a minute. God, so restless. Right. Fail more. Yeah, that's something I'm big into, actually. Uh, I'm big into that failure. And in all honesty, that's kind of what we're talking about right now. There are things I could have done that would have allowed me to experience those failure modes more. And I haven't done it. And it's really because... I could say time. I think I'm just kind of lazy sometimes. I think we're all a bit lazy. There's a guy called Derek Sivers who started a company called CD Baby. And uh, he does things where he looks for what he's scared of. He looks for fear and he goes and does them anyway. Um, there's a guy, one of the astronauts. I can't remember which one it was. Um, let's have a look. No, I can't remember which one it was. But he talks about going through a spider's web. Someone's going to hook me up in the comments right now. The first time you go through a spider's web, it's a nightmare. And you're really scared of spiders. By the time you've done an eighth time, it's like, you know, EVAs off the space shuttle. It, it's fine because you've, you've got that kind of experience. So what I'm trying to do is put myself in positions where I fail more. Hence, doing this sort of thing. Because this will become normalized to me, which makes sense. And the next thing for this is we're going to run a seminar. We're going to invite guys down. Coffee, cakes. Sit there. Big circle. Let's make some real kind of changes. So let's do that, okay? I really want people to come down. Um, sit around and we'll just really hammer some stuff out to improve people's lives much like the coaching I do but on a bigger scale and with some real tangible elements if you're not great at public speaking let's put you on a stage get you public speaking if you're not great at writing let's sit you down and talk about the fundamentals of communication in the right in the written form that kind of stuff is what I'm interested in brilliant where are we now yeah be better than yesterday again ambitious isn't it I'm not overly convinced this year I have been better than the day before but uh, I am constantly trying and I think in 2018 I'm literally going to try and do something that I had not done the day before and it's crazy stuff I mean don't get me wrong someone said to me the other day when they said they read some of my posts and they were like why have you not written poetry and I'm like because because I'm a pilot and I fly airplanes in the sky poetry does not but actually they're probably right some of the bravest people in in the wars have written poetry and I'm not a massive poetry guy massively into my rap music not massively into my poetry but I get that that's probably going to help my writing. Maybe I should explore that a little bit more. I think I'm going to publish you some poetry. There's something seriously wrong with you. Right, six then, avoiding, wrong, five. Ah, let's not skip this one. This is important. Morning routines. 
Now, morning routines are something that I really wanted to hammer home in 2017. And if I'm completely honest with you, and that's what this is about, it is about being honest. Um, and when you write me emails, your honesty does shine through and I'll answer every single one of those. Um, I haven't been that great in morning routines. I've been living all over the country trying to help bring these airplanes in. And sometimes, oh, there's no excuse really, is there? Sometimes when you're in a mess room or whatever, you look out the window, it's raining, you think, I won't go out for a run. And that's bad. And I'm trying to set something that is regimented because that's how my mind works so i realize that my capacity is at the beginning of the day no one's going to phone me up at five in the morning um, that's probably the time i need to get up and do an hour's worth of i know uh, maybe i've got a rowing machine i love and i need to do 20 minutes on that i need to do 10 minutes of meditation just get that brain squared away and if you think you don't need meditation now you're probably right but by the time you need meditation you've probably left it a bit long if you see what i mean so if you just sit there and do nothing for 10 minutes of the day. That's kind of beneficial. So I'm really trying to bring stuff like that in. And then avoiding negativity again. Yes, I, it's very difficult, isn't it? Because all over social that negativity comes. I know we're all part of that. Fine, I could do better with that and then invest in me. So what I'm really trying to say here, I haven't fully invested in me. I need to do more training courses. I failed in some of these. And what I need to do now is recalibrate. And we'll talk about that in a second on the Q&A and actually work out in 2018 how I'm gonna refine that process. So after a year, I've gone back, looked at my intentions for 2017, realized I could have done better. So what does Einstein say? Yeah, that's what, that's what insanity is. It's doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. If I was to not change anything about what I'd done in 2017, I'm not gonna get anything different. And that's what I'm talking about when I talk about disruption. It's not disruptioning, not, not this kind of thing that I think Mike was saying in the comments about disrupting industry and, and that it's a business buzzword. I'm talking about disrupting yourself, changing up, stepping up your own procedures, understanding where you could do better and maybe asking your buddies down at the gym or in the pub, whatever it is, you know, what do you think of me? Am I, you know, am I living up this authentic life or not? I mean, I tell you what, you want to ask these people, when it comes back to avoiding negativity as well, um, you can speak to negative people less. Don't cut people out of your lives. That's a silly thing to do, but you don't have to involve yourself in negativity. If you're on a flying squad in the Royal Air Force, you know what I'm talking about because that's what we do, isn't it? We we love to man. And if you're on a warship in the Navy, and I know some of you are, that gets you through the day. I fully appreciate that. It gets you through the day. But there is something to be said about spending time with a person who's really, really positive. And I spoke to a young lady this week who was a very positive person. And you can see that whatever she goes into, she is gonna engender a lifestyle of those people around her and they're always gonna want her to be there. And that's that's a great thing to have, isn't it? We know that. Right, let's talk about Lewis, then we'll do some Q and A's. Me and Lewis go back a long way. No, we don't. Right, so what I wanna say really is if we look at what Lewis has said here, hard work, dedication, motivation makes you who you are and will become. If you think about what Lewis has to do to win four Grand Prix, you'd probably tell me that what Lewis needs to do is he needs to uh, win more Grand Prix that year than anyone else. And we'd all agree that's the truth. We'd say, yes, it is. It doesn't start there though, does it? It's not what he does. He doesn't just jump in a car and win more Grand Prix. He has to do other things first. Uh, when he was very small, he wasn't a Formula One driver. So I wanna break this down a little bit just to get some understanding of where we need to go from to for a successful life and analyzing our failures. So let me break Lewis down then. He needs to actually finish more Grand Prix that year, which means he needs to finish one Grand Prix that year, which means he needs to start 
a Grand Prix. You're kind of feeling where I'm going with this, really. He needs to actually start the Grand Prix in order to finish it. It means he's got to turn up, is what I'm saying. He's got to put his foot in the door. He's got to say, I'm here. That racetrack looks really scary, by the way, and those cars are really fast, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to turn up. I'm going to make that happen today. I'm going to see what it is. And also, I might be embarrassed. Think about all those celebrities out there who get embarrassed. You know, they are putting themselves in the spotlight. If you want what other people don't have, you have to do what other people don't want to do. Does that make sense? And you think about, I don't know, let's pick a strand. Think about that rotary pilot who gets the end of helicopter training and he fails the final helicopter handling test or whatever it is and gets chopped from his job. To him or her, that is a massive, massive deal and rightly so, but at least they tried it. At least they dug out, dug deep and actually did something constructive with their time. And now they're going maybe do some other kind of flying or maybe bring some real value to the services by doing something else. So oh, don't be afraid of failing on your road to success because you can just recalibrate, dress it up and do something else. Back to Lewis. He's had to start a Grand Prix, which means he's got to get himself into Formula One, which means he's probably going to have to race Formula Three or something first. Maybe he's got to, and he's going to do that by doing well at carts. He's going to do well at carts by being in carts in the first place, etc., etc. Yes, he started when he was two and a half years old, whatever. I think the analogy here is a sound one. All I'm saying is you have to start, even how, even if it seems really small, you've got to start in order to get anywhere you want to be. So if you want to be all big and muscly, you've literally got to wake up in the morning at five o'clock. And that's what I'm talking about, small doses as well. I think sometimes where people fail, especially in the New Year's thing, is they try and do too much too soon. And if you read any of my posts, I'm about to go in Q&A, guys, so start dropping the, the, the Q-bombs on here. If you want to wake up in the morning, have a great morning routine, literally just wake up in the morning. Just wake up in the morning. And I think I talked about that in the video. Just wake up, get up at five o'clock, walk around the house for half an hour, get back into bed, fall asleep again. 20 minutes, if that. It's just getting your body into it. Don't get up, put your training shoes on, run in the street, do press-ups, hit the gym. You'll last for 10 days and your mind will say, this is ridiculous. Right, let's talk then about um, some Q&As. Holler at. So a little bit of a brief there. We're just going on about, uh, I've got someone, let's have a look. Oh yes, I've got, thanks Tom, we're a pilot. I said I was a pilot. I'm gonna, I said to uh, one of my guys when I say this, uh, obviously I'm going to keep forgetting that I don't fly airplanes anymore. Right, so I'm scrolling down to the very bottom. So if you want a question and chuck it in here, let's have a look. Yeah, 1% increments, Leon, absolutely right. So that's the marginal gains that Dave Brailsford talks about with um, Team Sky in the cycling. 1%, these 1% add up massively. We know that. Think about what 1% you can do and uh, how that's going to affect your life. Here we go. Great question. Here you go, Dave. Hopefully it's a great question. I haven't read it yet. Um, what do you think of the current situation with 12 to 18 month holes in the flying training system? And in your opinion, with the full implementation of the MFTS system, or will the full implementation of the military flying training system help cure that going forward? Right. So I'm in a very privileged position to answer that question, but obviously there are contractual issues with this. So I'm not going to labor this. Uh, the last time I heard, it was about 70, 72 weeks, something like that. So you're absolutely right. Bang on into that 18-month hold period post initial officer training. Now, this is something that we need to kind of call people out on this, really. If you speak to people who understand flying training, shall we say senior, and I'm not pointing any fingers at any people, uh, they never said they could accept the input that was going to happen into the service. They never said that. What happened is the Royal Air Force opened the doors and dragged loads of guys in. I think I warned about this about a year ago. I said, look, we'll bring you in 
if you turn up at a careers office and you can breathe, we're going to grab you. Um, the chance of you training immediately are going to be pretty slim. So will MFTS cure that going forward? Yeah, I think when we get the full aircraft, all the complement of aircraft in and we manage that pipeline and the pipeline management, so end to end of rotary, fast jet and uh, obviously um, multis, when we have someone doing that, yes, that should. It is designed to cure that. It is designed to do that. Cool. James, love you, buddy. Thanks so much for your message. I really like that. Paul, holds are nothing new. Absolutely, Paul. Uh, I've got a lot of time for you. You, you put some real um, tangible content on my site, and I really appreciate you doing that. Uh, he's absolutely right. If you're going to join the military, you get used to those holds. What you do on those holds, that's what makes you the kind of officer. And there's another thing there as well. We're going into this military side again, and what we really want to talk about is how we make ourselves better people. Fine, let's do the military side. If you are going to uh, join the military, holds, and a hold is where you spend a, a period of time not doing your core tasks, such as flying or learning to fly an aeroplane. Um, I had some interesting holds. I went and flew with uh, the Hawks down in Coldrose. I was a naval officer. Um, I also held, uh, I think, with ETPS for a bit and some other stuff. So I looked Empire type, Empire Test Pilot School. I bounced around the Air Force and the Navy. And I tell you what some young guys and girls are doing at the moment is they're, well, they were when we still had activity out there of a scale they could participate in. They're asking to go out to theatre. They're asking to go out to Afghan, um, Iraq. Um, they're asking to go out to Cyprus and be part of that war effort. And why would you not want to do that? That's where you can make a real tangible difference, okay? So holds are nothing new. I think things will be definitely sped up when we, uh, when we square this away. Right, I'm scrolling back down again. Tom, most people fail New Year's resolutions because they're not smart, just a random pick or something. Yeah, so he's talking about smart goals there. Have a look at smart goals, measurable goals, realistic, timely. I think he's absolutely right. That's a very valid point, actually, Tom. You put some pretty good content on my site as well. I really appreciate that, buddy. Flew with Tom for a long time. Right, Mark. Honesty and negativity are different, but tricky to tell apart sometimes. Honesty and negativity are different. Did I say they were the same thing? I probably did, didn't I, somewhere along that. Honesty and negativity. I guess you're probably right. Um, yeah, so Sai said, hard to avoid negativity, staying out of the circles of concern and remaining in circles of influence. And I'm a big fan of that. You're absolutely right. If you are the most stupid person in the room, you're in the right room. You're in the right room. You want to be associating with people who have, if success to you is about wealth, go and find people with more money with, than you and hang around those people. Genuinely, hang around those people. You will understand wealth creation from those people. If you uh, want to be more intelligent and you want to understand what that is all about, then do that. If I want to be a better speaker, I need to be around people with better speakers. I watch people on podcasts and I watch speakers and I was presenting in London last week at a social media conference. So, you know, that's what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to associate myself with people who are better than me. And that can be really embarrassing because you'll live a life uh, of inequality, of course. You'll always be that guy who's not as good as everyone else. But think about where they started and they're in exactly the same place as you, all right? Exactly the same place as you. Right, I think we're getting back here. I'm going back up this now. Let's have a look. So that's great, thanks, Sai. Um, yeah, I did say cakes, Paul. Come to my little seminar, and we will have cakes. I'll provide you cakes for free. Right, yeah, fail more, like it. It means you're not innovating, taking risks. Not, yeah, exactly, So I think we understand now. You've got to take risks, and you will fail, and we understand that's not a bad thing. I get loads of people write to me, actually, about their failures, and they're embarrassed about them. Um, and that makes me really sad. Uh, because I think that when you're failing, you're doing something very positive. You're, you're understanding what it needs to be done. These people, 
this is one of the things I want to mention actually, and I'm sure there's a question here somewhere. Hard work is what's going to make you successful. I've done a lot of studying about this and there's, there's nothing that I find that's going to change that. It really is dedication and focused practice. Matthew Side writes a lot of books about this. He wrote Bounce. He talks about dedicated and focused practice and he's a championship tennis uh, table tennis player. And he says the reason that most of the championship tennis players at the time came from the same tennis club as he did was because the bloke who owned the tennis club just opened it at all hours. And when these guys in his hometown who played table tennis had nothing else to do, they'd just go and play table tennis and just chat and just play table tennis. And strangely enough, they were playing table tennis every single day. They got really good at table tennis. Makes a lot of sense. Look up the, um, the history of Beethoven and obviously all these kind of things. People think these people are very talented. They're just very exposed to uh, the, the uh, mythology that they're going to achieve for success. Good. Here we go. I've got uh, Chris. Chris, let's have a chat. What are you saying here? With my personal experience in civilian air traffic world, failure becomes a key part of our training process. And this is absolutely true. Um, Chris is correct here. Sounds perverse, but after some failure, a vast improvement in performance is often observed. This is what flying training is. This is obviously exactly the same thing that he's talking about. This is brilliant. Understanding your weakness is key in not making the same mistakes again. Thanks, Chris. Really appreciate that. You're absolutely right. I couldn't have said that better myself, even though I've been trying to say that for the last 30 minutes. So this is why we have people like Chris and Paul and Tom, the rest of you guys on here. Because absolutely. Right. Have we got a question here? What's that, Leon? Um, have I missed the beginning of your comment there? Virtual reality is training in young. Yeah, we use a lot of virtual reality, actually. We use, um, well, say VR. We don't use VR at the moment. We're moving into that um, augmented reality VR space. That is going to be the future. I mean, it just is. Um, but it's clunky, isn't it, right now? It's much easier to fall back on synthetics. But we're high. We use a lot of synthetics. In fact, no, we're still using synthetics, but in a kind of virtual way for multis, which is quite interesting. Um, yeah, I think that's how we're going to be leaning it. And if we look at F35 without going too deep into their training methodology, as it were, methodology, um, synthetics is going to be huge in that world. Huge in the F35 world. Um, I've now gone to the very bottom. Here we go. Aiden. Aiden, let's have a chat. Um, currently waiting to join the forces. Okay, good man. That's you. My third attempt being accepted. Could you tell me the difference between someone who was more determined because they had several attempts at trying to join? Uh, yeah, that was me, by the way. Yeah, I tried to join about four times, actually. So um, if that's if you're all right with that, yeah, I, I failed uh, a lot in joining the military. Uh, and I eventually had the biggest disparity between the scores at the Admiralty interview board. I was a naval officer first before I was, hence the flag, which came off a warship. Um, there we go. It's come for, um, I think it was Boxer, it might be in London, one of the ships. Um, and I was a naval officer for five years first. I joined as a pilot in the Navy. And when I first did my Admiralty interview board down in Gosport, I was also doing my finals for my exams uh, in engineering. Uh, and I got a 2-2 in engineering and I prioritised my engineering finals. They were literally like two days apart. And so by doing that, I didn't put the work in for the AIB and I got a really poor score. And they literally said... Um, and also, I was in the officer training group at the time, and they, they knew this, and they said, look, we think you'd probably be suited more in the Royal Marines or, or with um, a regiment in the Army, Fusiliers, I think it was, I was looking at the time. Thank you, I said, went away. And because I got my degree then, I went to work in a civilian engineering firm, and I, it was to do with um, computer design, that kind of thing. After, 12, after six months, my father said, give the Navy a call again, tell them that you're, you're working out here in City Street, see where they've got a gap, short notice, go and do them again. And I put a lot of effort in then to correcting uh, what I'd done wrong and the debrief the Navy had given me 
and there was a lot of things wrong with it. Current affairs, my maths was rubbish, all this kind of stuff. They wanted me to join as an engineer. And all so all that stuff. And I went back after six months and I did very well. And I ended up getting the biggest score um, difference between two AIBs, um, which was which was great, of course. And they took me in as a pilot. And I love the Navy. The Navy's fantastic. So I've got a lot of time for the Navy, by the way. And in fact, I've just um, mentored a young guy who's just got into uh, the Navy after he spoke to me for about a month or so. Um, we squared himself. We squared him away. What he did, and he's just passed with flying colours, and he's straight into Dartmouth now, which is fantastic. So, um, and there's a couple of guys as well, I believe, on the May entry that I've spoken to as well that are, that have just um, been accepted as well, which is great because the Navy's awesome. Right, okay, guys, I'm just trying to work out the difference between sending me um, some messages and doing this thing here. Let's have a look. So, hope that's all right. So, that looks like that's pretty much the Q and A then, which is great for me because that's 40 minutes which means I can go and do some other things. If anyone else has got anything you want me to talk about now, it's uh, obviously success, failure. Uh, thanks, Ben. I really appreciate it. You've got some great content. If, you, uh, if you're if you interested in light aviation, light aircraft aviation, then go over to Plain Old Ben. Uh, he's got some great stuff on there. And um, he uh, I just basically watch what he does and just try and uh, hopefully copy everything and that kind of stuff. Anything else anyone needs here? Let's just have a look. Have we got any comments from the beginning that I've missed out on? Okay, slow gin, side, brilliant, like that. We all need a bit of slow gin. Uh, I love this. Edward Torres from, uh, where are you, Columbia, Edward, I think it is. DCS Harrier Simulators. Um, now, this might, a lot of the guys that fly these airplanes that I've flown for many years, I don't fly anymore, they do use simulators as well. The home sims, DCS, I'm trying to think which other ones they use, X-Plane, things like that. I've never really used these simulators at all. But someone's asked me to do a bit of a review of one of their aircraft, so I'm now into this. And the quality of some of these simulators, just amazing. I was um, flying DCS of the day. I think I was in an SU-25, just staring out the window in this thing. I don't know how I've missed out on this stuff. So, yeah, guys use simulators. Um, and I haven't done the Harrier one yet, Edward, but I'll uh, see if I can download that Harrier one and um, pretend I was awesome enough to fly Harriers. Whatever. I don't know whether my ego will fit in my office, to be honest with you. Dave Brailsford, Connor, let's chat this out. And guys, don't think you've got to stay, by the way. If you're not interested in the comments that are coming in, drop in and drop out of these things. I really appreciate you coming in and, and having a chat, and hopefully you've got something out of this. Um, email me, by the way, tim at fastyperformance.com. If you want me to talk specifically about something, I'll whack the audio from this on a podcast. I'll put that out as well. I'm going to have a naval pilot coming pretty soon as well. He's left the military. He's started a business outside. I think that's going to be great to talk about on a podcast. And there's some other things as well. I'm also, of course, going to, uh, when I leave the military, talk to you about that transition, which should be embarrassingly enough for me, shouldn't it? When I'm on the dog. Right. Dave Brailsford, marginal gains. Massively successful. Team Sky, absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm assuming you know a lot about this, Connor, um, and what he did with getting the same pillows they had at home and everything else so that they were comfortable trying to um, do everything you can. Could we in the military, especially aircrew, utilize this more? I personally believe we use it, but in a negative sense, learning how not to fail by having an immense attention to detail. Yeah, I've actually thought about that recently as well, to be honest with you. Um, I suggest we would do better if we change our approach to focusing on improving performance instead of trying not to fail. Ah, this is exactly why, this is why this is such, this is such a great um, Facebook Live thing, because that's exactly how I'm feeling it. It's, that's the sort of thing that I've been trying to, um, think about for some time now it's the Australians do this slightly differently by the way in their air force I don't know whether anyone I can't recognize any of the Australian guys here um, that I speak to normally but um, they 
they start off by giving their pilots, and someone's going to correct me from this, but when you first jump into like a Hornet, whatever, or you're training on the Hawk, whatever, you're given everything. And then they start removing those things. You go through your flying training, and so your navigation towards the end of that phase becomes more um, mandrolic, as it were. We don't do that. We start the way around. We start people up slowly, and we build up and everything. And we, we try and improve that 1% the whole way through. But I... This is the thing I don't understand. We, and I was, in fact, I was just honestly chatting to this about my brother, uh, with my brother. Um, I was saying exactly the same thing about the trying not to fail. We were talking about the embracing of that failure, and he was talking about grades, and he was saying, it's, it's not, I'm trying not to explain it in a military sense that so people here don't fully understand this, but we get grades for flying a trip. So I'll award a guy between a zero and a five for the trip. The average grade can be a two, but he's got to end on a three, or she's got to end on a three at the end of the phase. A phase might be 10 trips before moving on to the next phase. In traditional military flying training in the UK, threes being an average grade. The way it's done now with the contractor we have here, and they've used two as average grade. Like, it doesn't matter, whatever. You can use whatever you want, right? Most pilots kind of go, you're average, take a three. It's fine. Most instructors average, take a three. We get that. But here's the thing that we're looking at now. It's like, a student is always going to make some errors. If I fly with another instructor and we go and do some training for ourselves, that instructor who may have 2,000 hours on Typhoon or whatever it is, he's going to make some mistakes. Flying is about that. It's about making mistakes. And then come back learning about those mistakes and then moving on, moving forward. Now, we penalise the students for those mistakes. Well, I don't penalise them, but a lot of instructors do penalise the students for making those elementary everyday mistakes. And that's because the student doesn't really know yet what is acceptable or not acceptable. They don't know what width to give an airway if they're doing air combat. You know, is it five miles? Is that enough? Is it 10 miles? A lot of this stuff is subjective. And so that's where we can add some kind of tangible value to that student. But it shouldn't affect their grade really from that core syllabus sortie that they're doing. I want to see on an air combat trip how good the air combat trip is. I've got to assess the departure from the airfield. I've got to assess the recovery from the airfield as well, especially when they're tired. I've got to make sure they can bring a three ship of Hawks back home without flying them into some airliners, whatever it might be. I need to assess that. But you know what? I'm expecting them to make mistakes because if I was doing it, I'd make mistakes too. And I do make mistakes. And my other instructors that I used to fly with, Tom, um, other instructors I used to fly with before I get corrected, uh, would also make those mistakes. So that's quite interesting, actually. Um, let's forget about trying not to fail Let's look at how we can add those 1% into improving ourselves. And that's the difference between maybe a baby instructor who's just started and someone who's what we call an A2, which is an above average instructor and an above average pilot. That instructor will look at where he can add some value to that student. And here's the thing as well. If the student's doing very well on the sortie, that instructor will push that student into an area where they may fail in a controlled fashion, for example, nothing dangerous, you don't do that, we don't even pretend to do that, um, but we'll push that student, and if they do fail, brilliant, learning has taken place, you're not going to penalise him, you pushed him there in the first place, uh, and there are many examples of how you might do that, you get him to do some circuits when he comes back to the airfield, very tired, um, she just wants to land, and you're like, no, and you try and run him out of fuel, get him to do circuit after circuit after circuit, we're just trying to assess the capacity at that point. And then we can award them like a top grade. We can award them a five. But if they mess it up, we just give them that four, take them inside, and then we talk about how to build resilience into flying training. This, this Facebook Live is not about resilience. Not yet. We'll do another one about that. Um, the failure is for good if the corresponding organization has the procedures to give at least a second chance. And I think, actually, Till Machos, is that how you pronounce your name? I've spoken to you before, I believe. That's exactly what I'm saying here. Failure is good. You need to be able to push people into a position where they will fail so that you can stretch them 
I haven't got it here and I'm not going to be able to find it in time um, about the panic curve, say the, the, the comfort stretch panic curve. In fact, I'll tell you what, whilst we're speaking, let me see if I can add some value into this context, shall we? Uh, and that's the thing. If we can actually do that, then that is ideal. Let me see whether I can... Anyone else for questions? Okay, this is one time. If I can get a diagram off this and I can put this up on the screen for you, then that would be ideal for us. And we can just get a bit of free learning thrown in here. Yeah, there we go. That's a rubbish curve. Here we go. I've got one here. Right, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you across now to this screen. And there we go. So look at that one in the middle. That's the, uh, can you all see that? The comfort zone is a very flat learning curve. This is all about learning, by the way. Learning on the left and your challenge or your demand or your performance level on the right. Um, so most of us live in that comfort zone. Let's be honest, guys. We don't like being in that stretch zone, do we? I don't like being in that stretch zone because there's every chance if we're in the stretch zone, I'm going to fail. I'm going to mess it up. So we live in that comfort zone. And I'd, I'd say something like 99% of the population live in that comfort zone. We know it. You know it. Everyone knows it. Let me see if I can make that bigger for you. I haven't done this before. This is where everything goes wrong. Oh, that's great. You get the same diagram now at the top of the screen. Right. Whatever. So when you when the learning takes place, especially in flying training and in the medical world as well, I know that to be true, and the financial sector, when you are stretched in that stretch zone. But if you push someone too far, they will go over the edge in the panic zone. And the panic zone does two things. It means they don't learn anything, and it means they don't want to come back and learn anything. Does that make sense? Everyone happy with that diagram? I'll check the old things now. So we try and keep people out of that panic zone. Exceptionally important. We keep them living their entire flyer training for four or five years, whatever it might be. They live in that stretch zone. It's worth having a think about what that does to you in a mental sense by being continuously assessed. Speak to a Royal Marine that's been down at Limston, they will tell you exactly the same thing. United States Marine Corps, exactly the same thing. Um, that's where you live in that stretch zone. And if you fall into the comfort zone, well, you're in the wrong place and you normally will not be learning and therefore you won't be able to catch up with other guys who've been living in the stretch zone and therefore you won't pass the flying test you need to pass and therefore you'll fail. In fact, what normally happens is you drop out of the stretch zone back into the comfort. You live in the comfort, the comfort, the comfort. When we try and put you back in the stretch zone, where do you think you end up? Yeah, you end up in the panic zone and you literally do something stupid in the aircraft that fundamentally is dangerous in every sense. You have to fail that trip, fly you again and some people just don't recover. In fact, if you don't, if you don't fail, this is a little hawk here. If you don't fail a trip in this airplane, this is a T1. Um, obviously, I've taught on this aircraft as well. But if you don't fail a trip, or if you haven't failed a trip before you arrive at Valley uh, on the T1, then sometimes we'll look for an opportunity to do that in the early stages. Because when guys and girls fail later on, at the back end of the course that I used to teach in the advanced phase, the tactical weapons phase, it can have a massive impact on them. And it can be very difficult then for us to pick that person up and recalibrate them and get them back in the air. And I can remember several students that I really had to fly with and literally walk out to the jet. And these students, they're not watching now. If they were, it doesn't matter. But these students are students that um, I would literally just sit on the wing with them and we'll look at the sky and we'll just talk about stuff. We'll spend the first five, ten minutes of that trip not even in the aeroplane. Um, it, it literally is about a mindset recalibration. It's not about getting in the airplane and trying to do something that they're struggling with. It's about talking it through. Not overanalyzing, talking it through. Because if you fail at that late stage of training then and you haven't failed before, that's really problematic. And that's really what this diagram is saying. Don't push people into that panic zone. And that's where good instructors are. And this is why I worry about uh, the rate at which people are leaving the service sometimes. And my men who've left... Uh, and it was just men who've left um, the particular squadron I was on to go and fly in the Middle East, is you get some great guys there, some absolutely top people are still flying, and then it's absolutely it's fantastic. But 
you've got to get people who understand how to calibrate that line to that line there and to keep people in that zone. And of course, if the instructor is too young or too inexperienced, then they either live people in here or they put people in here. And both those places are not going to deliver you your F-35, your RPAS guy, your Hercules TAC warrior, whatever it might be, your Chinook pilot who's able to um, land in some massively um, dangerous situations out in Afghan and, uh, and Iraq. Right, so we've um, let's have a look. Okay, Ian, ice hockey does take a priority to me. Thank you for turning up, buddy. Yeah, Tom, ah, yeah, this Tom's right. You do get bored in the comfort zone as well, but it's a very safe place to be. Yes, Martin, 19 squadron. Absolutely, mate. Don't get me wrong. Brilliant. Yeah, well, about picking people up. Yeah, absolutely. It is transferable. I wonder whether we can do that, the post-failure, um, yeah, the post-mortem on, on post-failure. That, that will be a great thing to do, actually, because you're right. Sometimes that can be a process in itself when someone has fallen hard. Remember, when people... When people are, uh, all I know is the flying training for military fast jets. I've just done a, a review for the, the courseware, for example, for the prefect. That's uh, elementary flying training. I understand a bit about that, obviously. And um, obviously the T6, which is basic flying training, a mock engine flying training I'm responsible for as well. I understand that stuff. But when you get a guy or a girl at the far end of fast jet flying training, and that's the longest one we have, and they've been doing this now for like five years, and their family have been to all their graduations, and it's in their identity now. They are, when you put wings on them, by the way, they are a fast jet pilot. Don't, they're a pilot in the Royal Air Force uh, or the Navy, and that can never be taken away. If they fell flying training, but they've got wings on their chest, those wings stay with them for life. Absolutely, don't get it wrong. They recalibrate, they go into another strand. But when they've got to go and tell their partner that they, um, they failed at the end of the flying training, this can be very different. How do you pick someone up like that? Interestingly enough, I was chatting to two of my students who have re-rolled onto multi-engines. They absolutely love it. Um, they got quite deep into four squadron on the Hawk T2, uh, failed trips. I mean, it gets busy. Don't get me wrong. It gets mentally busy. Um, and they re-rolled into multi-engines and they love the multi-engine world. And I do as well, by the way. Most people I meet at the moment or I advise and coach uh, on here want to go and fly helicopters because uh, they want the action, they want the, the experience, this really cool. Fully appreciate that. The rotary world at the moment is just fantastic. It's a great place to be. It's a great place to be. We're just talking about the military. We need to be talking about other stuff. Um, and Chris, uh, talking about crushing failure, absolutely, self-belief, all these things. Where are we now? 49 minutes in. I can push it to an hour. I'm going to get told off by people, but that's fine. And I do appreciate you, by the way, um, uh, for letting me uh, take your time and move this forward an hour. That's also important. Uh, this legend down here, Rich, is saying you need to reach combat ready status to keep the wings. Absolutely, but they do, of course, because they re-roll, especially if they fail end of fast jet military flying training, they re-roll into another strand and therefore they keep the wings on that. Um, anyone that's been solo in a fast jet, as far as I'm concerned, is a fast jet pilot. So that's how I work that. Uh, same thing for uh, if you've been in a crew in a multi-environment or a rotary environment. Absolutely, don't get me wrong. Um, you can stand next to me at a bar. In fact, one of my students did. He said, you're just going to go into industry. And I think this guy, where do we, oh, we're in the mid dits now. This will take 30 seconds. He um, did some air combat with him. He didn't pass the air combat phase. And he said, look, I'm going to go and speak to business. You're going to go and speak to business as me, as his instructor. And he says, and I'm going to say I've done air combat and you're going to say you've done air combat. The difference between me and you is that I've done, I don't know, about a thousand hours air combat and he'd done four. But he's absolutely right. You know, you point a jet at another jet and you get away with it. You can go stand in front of uh, a business and tell them that you've done air combat. Happy with that. Happy with that. I've got a big, um, I'm, I'm a big fan of that. Right. Yeah. Thanks, Ryan. 
Only a twin brother would call you out live. Don't worry about it. I know where he lives. All right. Uh, how important is the university air squadron in your opinion? Not everyone can get into university air squadron. Uh, they're kind of packed out. I do a lot of talks at university air squadron. I think I'm down in Wales in the year. I've done Bristol. I should be doing Liverpool, but I think I have to get someone else to go in there and do that for me. Uh, I don't. I think I see value in so far as you're putting yourself into that military environment. But I also love the fact that people um, will go and join the University Royal Navy unit, or like me, the officer training corps, and then I'll bounce into um, the Navy. I mean, I was OTC, which is obviously Army sponsored, and I went to join the Navy, and then end up in the uh, Royal Air Force, of course. And yet, I did. Uh, uh, my father's a Royal Marine, for example. So I've kind of experienced these kind of things. The thing about the University Air Squadron. It's a pretty good place to be. I'm not convinced about the flying they're doing at the moment. Is that helpful? Um, to I think it, I think it gives you that visibility. I think you might be able to get that if you just went to a flight school and you you put some money into some PPL lessons as well. But what it does, of course, is it it gives you that insight into service life, and that is oh so important because you're going to do that for the next, in my case, 20 years. And getting that insight for me when I was in officer training, I knew that was what I wanted. I knew it was from like end of year one. I was doing long range reconnaissance patrolling with a team of eight people. I knew that was what I wanted. I knew I wanted to be part of that military existence. And also, by the way, here's another thing. So I'm leaving the military after 20 years and I still love the military because I don't want to be bitter and then leave. I want to leave when I can still get out there and speak to corporations and speak to industry and say, the military is a great place to be. And I firmly believe that even if we have been on two years worth of pay freezes and eight years worth of pay cuts that is significant in your monthly pay by the way it is for me anyway uh mark should we discuss dns and certain procurement programs can we not here i suppose really uh we can we can do that stuff when it's open source if we want to talk about um these things that's, that's absolutely fine and i wish to be honest with you people were more um being uh, we're talking about a lot more but you know it doesn't happen right now because most of these aircraft aren't in so Fine, but it's uh, it's pretty strong out there right now. There's some great airplanes coming in. I've got a lot of time for the uh, the platforms coming in. There's some great planes. Um, good stuff. Yes, I was grounded recently. Was this a typical failure? And what did you choose to get it back in line? And is it still working? Yes, I was grounded. Actually, I was grounded for being overweight. Um, I was uh, the Hawk T2 as a weight limit of about like 92 kilograms. It's the way it is. But we've got guys come back from the front line. Uh, I mean, I'm a bigger guy, right? Anyway, so I was up around about 98, I think it was, and I've been working in office for a year. So in that respect, uh, I'd, I'd say I let myself go a lot. I wasn't doing the fizz I needed to do. That comes back into that yearly, early, um, uh, those resolutions I put out there, really have a morning routine I didn't really stick to, and I've got to recalibrate myself on that. So my weight went, went to the doctors for an annual medical, and they said, you know what? You're too big to uh, to fly in the airplane. You're too, you need to lose about, I think it was seven, eight kilograms which is a real pain. So I did. I lost that in, I think it was seven weeks in the end. We just do what people do when you have to focus. You knuckle down, double down. I quit alcohol, all the any bad stuff I was having, got up early, hit the gym, all that kind of good stuff that we do. And I got myself back in the jet, um, which was great. And I, I realized what I'd done. And now obviously I kept myself in, in shape from then. Very easy that actually, especially when you get over 40 to um, to keep that weight down. It's interesting because I wrote a post on that, by the way. Uh, I don't want to get up on the screen there, but it, that grounded post is what you're referring to there, I believe, uh, Mark. So uh, is it still working now? Honestly, I'm not being funny. I have not weighed myself recently. I haven't got any scales here in the house. Um, 
I'd like to say it is, but I must admit, I look in the mirror sometimes. I'm thinking, oh, got big, a bit big boned, maybe. Thank you for bringing that up. That's very kind. I will now remain sitting down for the rest of this uh, this thing. Craig, failure during training is important. Absolutely, it teaches resilience, and in my opinion, reduces the fear of failure. Yeah, that's another real important concept because when you realise, when you normalise your failure, and you understand it's something that is just going to happen. I wrote a post about Conor, uh, Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather the other day. Have a read of that one if you want. Um, I think it's like 10 things you can learn from that fight. Um, I believe I talk about it in that, about failure. Uh, and that's quite interesting. Right. Let's have a look. Uh, fear of failure can be worse than the actual failure. Yeah, just get out there and do it. And also, here's the thing. What I'm going to do in the new year is I'm going to start up something online where we can all join and we can all go and fail together. There'll be things that I will do or I'll fail. And a lot of it might be, I don't know, what I want to do, I want to speak to more than 2,000 people, whatever, that's the thing. And I'm going to write about that experience. And I want you to join into that. And it will be like some forum on Facebook. It might even be the one we're on now. And we'll just set challenges for ourselves. We say, look, my challenge this year is that I really want to go and public speaking is an easy one, isn't it? Or I might, you know, want to, whatever it might be, um, do a presentation at work or something. And we'll just really help each other get through these things because I'm not convinced that people are happy with public failure. Does that make sense? Because you never see public failure on Facebook. You don't put it on there, do you? All you ever see is the good stuff. Of course you do. Why not? Um, all right. Joe, I have my OC in January for ATC. Any advice? Loads of advice. I go through the posts on the website. Uh, it's all there. If you've got any specific questions, though, Joe, hook me up with an email. Please don't write me an essay, though, buddy. Honestly, I'm really busy. I hate to say that. I'm really busy with DES programs, um, DENS programs that people don't want me to talk about. But um, but you can talk about them online. It's fine. Uh, so yeah, if there are any specific questions, hook me up an email. Um, I would say go through, especially the first few posts uh, that might help you out, uh, and you should um, you should figure that out then as well. Yeah, eight kilograms—that's eighteen pounds of pure. I think it's fat, to be honest with you. Um, thank you, Martin. Yeah, any points you want to give these guys about um, training an OAC is really good. Okay, so obviously we have people joining now, but they. Didn't get the message that we started an hour ago. So I'm going to leave you now. I really appreciate your attention. Hopefully I've added some value there. Um, thank you for coming to the cave that we're now in. And it's not just going to be here, right? So um, soon we're going to talk these fighting sticks up here. We're going to use these. We're going to use this little hawk. We're going to talk about lead turns. You know what? I was given a calendar by a guy called Matt Jones today. It's not with me. Ah, yes, it is here. Matt, um, Matt Jones, sent me a calendar. Thanks so much. I really appreciate this calendar. If you want to send me things, guys, use the address at the bottom of the website. I do get it. I need a better address because they send me stuff. It's a mail forwarding address, obviously, because people want to kill me all the time. Um, but send me stuff and I will, I really enjoy this. This is great. I was going to talk about failure a little bit with this, actually, because if you are a Typhoon pilot and you see that picture there, or you're in my little Hawk, if I was in my Hawk T2 and I saw that there, this guy's got about seven seconds to live. That's a fact. That's just not true, is it? about to get owned, aren't I? But if you're in a typhoon, you see that, then failure for you is an option, okay? So that work needed to be done in your training. You know that. That's why you've gone up against a Ukraine SU-27 uh, and you're in a bad place and you know you're in a bad place um, and you're looking at energy, you're looking at aspect, everything with this guy. So when it comes down to failure, unfortunately, in the Royal Air Force, there is no room for that. Talking of this calendar, we don't need to go through all of it, but I'm just trying to find you. There's your typhoon. This, these are good pictures from Matt, actually. I really appreciate this. This is for next year. I'm going to put this on my wall. Oh, what's that? Oh, yeah. Look at that. I'm trying to get you a decent picture. Look at that. And I was going to talk to you about bits of this aeroplane, and I will at some point. I think we'll have a whole other podcast where we talk about why that uses spoilers and, and spoilers and, and tailorons, it's called. These things move here, as opposed to ailerons and things like that. 
that's going to be really, we're going to geek out on that kind of A2 knowledge. Legends. Not many of these without holes in, to be honest with you. Uh, a lot of Afghans didn't like that. Who's that hero there? This is so difficult to put this in front of the lens. That's a great picture. Um, so that's pretty much it. These guys are pretty awesome. F15E guys. I know a few of these guys, they're, they're a good crowd actually down Lake and Heath. Good bunch of people there. Um, let's, uh, that's pretty much it. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate the calendar. I'll put it on my wall. <clears throat> right. Yeah, for the X-Wing. Yeah, we'll do some of that stuff there. Uh, no, there's no comments for a cent here. Um, John Machos, we're not going to talk about that today. Uh, I work with him every day, actually. I work with a cent every day. So um, we're not talking about it here. No, we're not. Right. Hopefully that is everything. This will go on and be uploaded. And then any comments you want to add in the box below, I will... Um, yeah, I think it was probably cheesy in that jet, wasn't it, Dan? Thanks for the comment, mate. Um, yes, absolutely. I will add to that comment, all those comments down the bottom there. And any guys like Dan, obviously an aviation legend himself, watching this, if they want to add into that commentary as well, um, and then that'll be really useful for the people that need uh, any kind of advice or anything like that. Right, I'm going to stop it here. I'm actually streaming this from uh, a new sort of program called OBS. I'm learning to use it. So I may actually stop streaming and then still be live. So I'm sorry about that. Right. Thanks so much. Yeah, watch it later. Thank you, Julie. Really appreciate it. And next time, I promise I'll start it on the time. Had to bring it forward to due to some unforeseen circumstances. So really appreciate it. And thank you. Go back and have a look at this pick. And hopefully it's uh, a bit more, hopefully you understand a little bit about what I mean with this now. I'm not trying to say that those who fail choose to wallow in self-pity. In the context that Lieutenant Colonel Rabel was, was saying there, it's those who stay failed. Does that make sense? Let's not stay failed. Let's be disruptive, energized, and motivated, and let's go out and change the world for the better. Thanks so much. Tim Davies, Fast Ship Performance.